What's up and welcome to Crossover Wednesdays here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm James Yarko, the host of Locked On Bucks, joined by Bill Rossetti, uh, the host of Locked On Panthers. You can check out everything I'm doing over at BucksNation.com and follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks at JayYarko underscore Bucks. Check out everything Bill is doing over at the PanthersWire.com and at Bill underscore Rossetti. That's R-I-C-C-E-T-T-E. Bill, how you doing, my man? Uh, doing well, James. Glad to be back on with you. We certainly got the chance to talk quite a bit now over the last couple seasons. So, you know, always fun to get together with get together with you guys. So uh, definitely glad to be doing these crossovers again, especially in division because they're definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And of course, David and I had the opportunity to to talk with you and, and hang out a little bit when we were all in Indianapolis for the combine. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that was that was a great time. So it's it's nice to get on here and, and catch up and talk a little bit about two struggling teams that decided to lose to NFC West opponents at home in week one. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, certainly an interesting week one, uh, to say the least. But uh, I mean, it, it, it was just a weird week. I mean, we had an, another tie in week one and just, uh, I, I don't know. It, it was another weird one. <laughs> well, the good news is we got 15 games left That's right. starting starting tomorrow with, with the Bucks and the Panthers. So let's talk a little bit about the Panthers first. You know, obviously Christian McCaffrey was just he was Christian McCaffrey. He was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the talk was the struggles of one Cam Newton. Can you can you talk a little bit about how he looked against the Rams? And do you think maybe it was just some lingering effects from the injury he suffered in preseason? What's what's going on with the quarterback there in Carolina? Yeah, Cam looked a bit sluggish for sure in week one. You know, it was his, his first real game action uh, since last season, since he really didn't play much in the preseason. And I think... You, you were seeing that kind of across the league, too, not just with the Panthers, but really a lot of teams that, you know, a lot of these teams that didn't play their starters a lot in the preseason really struggled to get out of the gate or, you know, or, or very slow out of the gate. And uh, the Panthers are definitely no exception. Uh, Cam, you know, missed some throws and, uh, you know, took a couple sacks, especially in the first half, which really, really killed a lot of uh, opportunities, killed a lot of momentum, I, I think, for Carolina. You know, there, there were definitely opportunities uh, for them to really take advantage of uh, some some Rams miscues, you know they had a couple drives, but uh, you know they missed a field goal, and then like I said, th- three sacks in the first half, a couple of turnovers, just um, just really struggled. I mean, you know DJ Moore fumbles in the in the first drive of the game, but um, yeah, there, there's no question Cam uh, needs to play better. You know, I, I don't know if it was necessarily because of the injury. You know, it could have been, but it might have just been more just because of rust. You know, like I said, he only played three series in the in the preseason. You know, we're used to seeing that from him, too, now with, you know, not a lot of uh, not a lot of action in the preseason. So it's going to take some time for him, I think, to to kind of get up to speed. Uh, on the defensive side, you know, a lot of the talk leading into the game is of course going to be Gerald McCoy Mm -hmm. facing his former team. And uh, he had an awfully quiet game 
on Sunday, finished the game with just one tackle. What have you seen out of McCoy? Is he quite the player that the Panthers thought they were going to get? Or are you, you kind of chalking that up to the rest of the team being a little rusty, being a little sluggish? And uh, what what's going on? What are the expectations for McCoy facing his former team? Yeah, I mean, it, it's still early, I think. You know, a lot, a lot of time to turn things around. I think really, again, it's kind of a lot of the team were – just rusty, and we knew that the defense was going to have question marks. They're still kind of getting used to this whole uh, three-four look and this whole, uh, you know, changing up a lot of fronts because they'll still run a lot of, of four-man fronts. But you know, you have to think now. McCoy definitely had this game circled since he signed with the Panthers, so it's uh, it's really going to be interesting now uh, on a short week how fired up and how ready he's going to be to really get after his former quarterback and Jameis Winston. So that's definitely going to be one thing to watch. But, I mean, like like we said before we got on the air, there's – or like we said earlier, there, there's 15 games left. Uh, so there's a lot of time for this defense to kind of come together. There's a lot of time for, uh, you know, things for like McCoy to gel with the rest of his teammates. So, you know, it, it just takes time. I think McCoy will be fine. And I think this defense, especially the front seven, will be fine. Uh, you know, the, the secondary had some decent plays. You know, James Bradbury had a, a huge interception. So it was nice to see him kind of step up after uh, a sluggish 2018. So you'd like to see that trend kind of continue. Mm-hmm. So overall, um, you know, definitely some positives to take away from the Rams. But you, know, you could certainly still build on some things. I mean, you know, it's not like they were playing a terrible offense. I mean, it's not exactly the worst thing in the world that they gave up 30 points against the Rams. But, you know, you'd like to see the defense obviously kind of step it up a little more, you know, especially this weekend in a division game at home. What was one of the, uh, one of the pleasant surprises, I guess is the way to put it for Panthers fans following Sunday's game, maybe somebody that performed much better than expected somebody who showed some flashes. That's really going to be able to continue to grow and, uh, and continue on an upwards trajectory, either offensive or defense that uh, the Buccaneer fans may need to keep an eye on. I'll go back to Bradbury on that one. Uh, Like I said, he was a guy that, you know, really was up and down in 2018 and was really one of the guys that I had marked as someone that really needed to step up this year, really needed to uh, just play much better on and on a more consistent basis. So him getting that interception, I think, definitely had to be a confidence booster for him. You know, the Panthers didn't really, uh, you know, in the end, obviously didn't fully take advantage of some of their their key plays on defense. But, you know, to, to have that to have that type of play from someone that um, I would think had a lot of pressure on him is, is really, and again, against a really good offense like the Rams, that's something that I think can carry over for the rest of the season. So if he can step it up and Dante Jackson can keep playing the way he's been playing, you know, all of a sudden you look like you're going to have a, a pretty good unit back there in the secondary. Now we got to see Trey Boston, I think, step it up a little bit, but um, yeah, I would I would say James Bradbury was probably the biggest uh, pleasant surprise uh, on on the entire team. So that that was really nice to see Sunday. All right, and, and Bill, the last one that I have for you is there. There are some obviously some weapons on the offensive side, 
But, you know, names like DJ Moore and, and Curtis Samuel don't exactly strike fear into the hearts of opponents outside of Samuel's uh, long ball, you know, being a long ball threat. What do you make of this receiving core? And, and what is it that may be misconstrued about the talent and the advantages that they provide for Cam and the Panthers offense? Yeah, I still think there's a lot of upside with this receiver group. You know, you still saw uh, a lot of the f- the flashy plays, even even in week one against the Rams, you saw some flashy plays. They didn't really uh, strike it big against the Rams. But again, it's, it's early in the season. They're still just kind of getting the reps in. I think as time goes on, these two are really going to be able to show how dynamic they can be, uh, both, you know, horizontally and vertically. And like you said, Samuel really has improved as a deep threat. So while these guys may not be household names yet, I think eventually we're going to get to the point, especially someone like DJ Moore, where he's going to start to kind of cause some fear in opposing defenses because, again, he's a guy that I think can really move you around the field. He's he's someone that you could line up anywhere. He could take it deep. He can – really be in the middle of the field, really just anywhere on the field. So these are just two very athletic, uh, very quick receivers that, you know, you you could just use in in a multiple of ways. And so I'm I'm just excited to see how they can just continue to build, continue to develop, and uh, eventually really make, hopefully make this offense uh, extremely explosive as time goes on. All right. Well, the Panthers certainly aren't the only team on Thursday night who had a quarterback struggle in week one. Of course, Jameis, uh, a pretty brutal performance against the San Francisco 49ers. Um, yeah, the the three interceptions, two of which Bruce Arians has come out and said, uh, you know, not his fault. You know, one one hit a tight end square in the hands and got deflected up in the air and the other one. Peyton Barber just ran the route three yards too deep. If he cuts the route off where he's supposed to, it's a completion. So uh, definitely going to be interesting to watch these two guys uh, try to try to bounce back here in, in week two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, that speaking of Peyton Barber, that's kind of one of the things I wanted to ask you too, is, you know, what's kind of the situation with the running backs? You know, we, we know all off season, it's kind of been a battle between Peyton Barber and uh, Ronald Jones, has anyone really kind of stepped up or is it just going to continue to be kind of a true running back, running back by committee there? Well, I mean, Ronald Jones certainly was the better of the two backs on Sunday. Yeah, he finished with nearly six yards per carry, had more rushing yards in, in one game than he did all of 2018. Uh, it, not to mention, you know, he had, he had a couple of receptions, one that went for a first down on third and 17. He really looked like a completely different guy. So I think it's too early to say that, you know, Ronald Jones asserted himself as the number one back. I think he's on his way to doing that, but at the stage where Ronald Jones kind of took over Bruce Arians and, and Byron left, which may have just been riding the hot hand. So it may be one of those one of those situations where we're going to have Ronald Jones games and we're going to have Peyton Barber games because both of them bring a, a different value to the offense. And you're, you're going to want to u- utilize whoever's playing better. You, you don't want to get into a situation like the Buccaneers had a few years ago where, you know, Doug Martin would be running effectively and then 
inexplicably he's pulled off the field in favor of Charles Sims just because that was a Sims drive, quote unquote. Um, so I think they're you know they're still kind of feeling it out. They're still kind of testing things, and and we know from Bruce Arians' days in in Arizona that it takes a few weeks to really kind of get the offense clicking and see who's going to emerge as as these top players. So right now, I mean, Ronald Jones looks like the better of the two backs, but that could definitely change on Thursday. Yeah, it's, that, that definitely should be interesting to see. And, you know, it looked like at times this offense really started to move. But, you know, like you said, you, you mentioned the kind of the killer interceptions by Jameis Winston. There were a couple of killer penalties, too, especially in the red zone. You know, so what kind of has to change with the, the red zone effectiveness? Because it seemed like they were you know, able to drive well till they got into the red zone. And it seems like once they got in there, they, they kind of struggled a bit. I know like, especially on one drive in particular, I think they had two touchdowns called back by penalties, actually, actually both on uh, DeMar, DeMar Dotson. So, you know, just, just how, how can the effectiveness change and how can they actually get better at putting points on the board down there? Yeah. Uh, DeMar Dotson definitely owes Cameron Bray dinner after negating two of his <laughs> two of his touchdowns. Yeah, ironically, both those touchdowns were caught, caught by him, too. Yeah, one of them was an absolutely incredible catch, too. It would have been a, a top 10 play on SportsCenter. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, it was it was a lot of the Bucks beating the Bucks, which is something that we've seen in the past. It was the penalties. It was the red zone miscues. O.J. Howard fumbled in the red zone, which is is very uncharacteristic of him. He had by far the worst game of his NFL career. So a lot of it, again, is going to come down to a matter of the offense really getting going. There was an opportunity on fourth and goal where Jameis had Chris Godwin uncovered on a slant, and he just held the ball too long, allowed a 49ers defender to close in and break up the pass. So it's it's about getting the timing down. It's about getting the rhythm down. And it's about eliminating the mental mistakes that lead to some of these penalties that take them from you know, a uh, uh, first and 10 from the, from the 11 to all of a sudden it's first and 25 outside of the red zone. Uh, yeah. It's, it's going to be a process, which is frustrating. You know, it's something that we've been saying for the last five years, but we, we know Bruce's track record. We know with the ugly starts, he's never had a season where he's lost nine games. His worst record as a head coach was seven, eight and one. Um, so it'll it'll take a few weeks, but you you know that they're they're going to be really pressing to get this win because you start zero and two, especially with an an zero and one division record. Yeah, the season's looking grim in September. Uh, Bruce Arians is real big on accountability. He's got his accountability board in the facility where he writes down players names who made mistakes and it gets to the point where players start holding other players accountable for these mistakes and and guys don't want their names up there. So, you know, there's, there's a lot to clean up, but there was a lot to grow on. Uh, But certainly the red zone efficiency has got to get cleaned up. And, and I really think it just boils down to eliminating the, the mental mistakes and getting the timing down and trusting this offense and trusting one another. Um, just kind of a uh, 
quick general question, I, I, I guess, but uh, how, how did Devin White look? You know, he, he obviously you know, we've talked about him a lot. We, uh, you know, I remember you telling me the story of how you interviewed him at the combine or saw him at his press conference and kind of knew right away that he was going to be a Buccaneer. Um, how was his first NFL game? You know, overall, it was pretty it was pretty solid. There were there were a lot of people in the Bucks Nation Twitter mentions talking about where's 45? Why was he a, a top five pick? Yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, these same people that did not want to draft an inside linebacker at number five overall. But he finished with the third most tackles. He had a critical third down stop, you know, forcing the 49ers to punt from inside their own five yard line. And ESPN's Jenna Lane tweeted out earlier today, you know, she couldn't believe that people were bashing Devin White. He didn't eat all week leading up to the game. He was dehydrated and had tonsillitis. So he he still went out there and played despite being really, really sick, you know, under, uh, you know, malnourished. That's the word I was looking for and dehydrated. And he still had a solid game. And one of the things that David and I talked about on our on our last episode was I wanted to go back and look at the all 22 because from the TV broadcast, obviously, you can only see so much. I wanted to dive into the all 22 and I wanted to see how often Devin White ended up dropping in coverage and how often he covered George Kittle. Because that was one name that we really didn't hear a lot after the first drive for the 49ers was Kittles. And Kittles, one of the best tight ends in football. So I'm curious to see if Devin White was matched up with him at all, took him out of any pass plays. Because obviously that's not something that's going to show up on the stat sheet, but has a major impact on the game. But overall, you know, I was pleased with with Devin White's performance. And, you know, if he plays like that when he's ridiculously sick i can't wait to see until he's uh you know 100 percent. yeah absolutely and um i'll kind of give you the same question you gave me um just kind of your biggest pleasant surprise offensively or defensively i'll just quickly throw out because you know i know he had a couple big uh turnovers and some good plays but um big game i thought for uh, vernon hargreaves you know um for all the the, the trouble he seemed like he, he was in uh, on the field and knowing this was kind of a, a big, big season for him, especially with his, I don't believe this. I can't, I can't remember. It was his fifth, fifth year option picked up. It was, it, it was. Okay. But even still, it felt like this was a, a pretty important year for him. And I thought he had a pretty good game, but um, you know, who, who was your biggest uh, surprise from week one? Yeah. Well, and, and to touch on Vernon Hargraves real quick. Yeah. He, he did play a really good game. You know, there was a, uh, there was a moment where he, you know, he kind of reverted back to that Mike Smith defense and he gave, I can't remember the the 49ers receiver, but he gave him about a 10 yard cushion on third down. And it resulted in that player getting a reception for a first down. And then two plays later, he gets that pick six, you know, a little bit of redemption. But it was nice to see him playing pretty well. He wasn't he wasn't getting burnt. He wasn't getting you know dominated the way we had seen early in his career. And it it was nice to see him bounce back after two injury riddled seasons. But for my pleasant surprise, I'm, I'm going to do the same thing that you did. I'm going to go back to a guy I've already talked about and that's Ronald Jones. You know, a lot of people had written this guy off as a, as a bust after one season where he really didn't have much opportunity and to come out and run as effectively as he did run with power, run with speed, 
you know, you could see a, a difference in the way he was he was looking at the field. Some of his cuts were just absolutely incredible. If he can continue playing at this level, I mean, he's going to create some problems for opposing defenses, especially when he gets out in space. Like I mentioned that that third and 17 reception. Yeah, it was a it was a dump off. It was a four yard pass. And Rojo made it happen, broke a couple tackles right there at the first down marker and and moved the sticks. So I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing more out of him. Again, I don't know what kind of committee they're going to be running, if it's going to be a ride the hot hand or if if Rojo's really going to assert himself as the starter. But yeah, I don't think anyone surprised Bucks fans more than Ronald Jones did on Sunday. No, that, that's a, a good call, I think, too. I, I thought he played really well. It's really nice to see the way he's been stepping up lately, uh, even even since the preseason. So, you know, good for him to uh, to be quickly turning around from what was a, a disappointing rookie season. So I, I like that call a lot. All right. Well, Bill, what is the, the key matchup that you are looking for on Thursday night? Uh I always t- tend to go with, you know, we, we talked about Samuel and DJ Moore earlier, and I always, I always say they're they're always uh, under the spotlight. You know, I, I like, I always kind of uh, tout them so much, but it's always interesting uh, the matchups they're in every weekend. You know, this this Bucks secondary did play a little bit better. You know, it looks like they've gotten a bit better so far. Obviously, we just touched on Hargreaves and. You know, I, I like Carlton Davis as well. So they've got some pretty decent uh, young corners there. So we'll see now in what should be uh, an easier matchup after they just went with guys like Marcus Peters and uh, and Akeem Talib. So we'll see how those how those receivers do against that Bucks secondary. And then uh, I'm always a big in in the trenches guy. Uh, we talked about Gerald McCoy facing his former team. So how's McCoy going to do? especially since he knows that Bucks offensive line so well. I mean, he used to practice against them every day. So how's he going to beat up on guys like whether it's Donovan Smith or, or Dotson, whoever he's lined up against. So really going to be interesting uh, how he kind of attacks, attacks those guys. And then I'll, uh, the tight ends against the, the two linebackers, you know, Keekley and Shaq. And even the outside linebackers, because they've been starting to go out into coverage every so often. How do they handle uh, two very athletic and uh, strong tight ends in Howard and Cameron Bright? So that definitely a, a a few matchups I think here that should be that should be really interesting to watch, at least from a, a Panthers perspective. You know, and uh, I'll just touch on OJ Howard though too. Like I said, he's a really strong guy. Really kind of had high hopes for him this season. Uh, he's but that that was definitely disappointing to see the uh, that fumble deep in uh, deep in the one Buccaneers drive. It was, it was just such a killer, and it's really, like you said, not like OJ Howard. So I I think he's going to be a guy that's um, really going to be, we'll say, kind of seeking revenge. And uh, you know, so the Panthers really have to be on their toes. I think because if they're not careful, OJ Howard, I think, is definitely a guy that can. Uh, that can beat them up pretty well, you know. And they they were they've already been burnt by by a tight end for a touchdown. Tyler Hig, because you know, I'm if I recall correctly, I think Tyler Higby uh, scored a touchdown against them last year, or I should say uh, last week 
fresh off that uh, contract extension that he got. So I think the Panthers really need to try to contain Howard and Cameron Bray to an extent too, uh, as best they can. All right. Yeah. I'm, and I'm definitely with you. I'm intrigued to see uh, how Gerald McCoy does up against his former team. Now you would mention whether he was going up against Dotson or Smith. Is that kind of how McCoy has been lining up is, is going up against the tackles? Yeah. If they, I know at least in three, four, I have to check more too on the, the four, three. I think he's kind of more inside like maybe a more three technique but at least in the three four he's going to be the outside guy so he's going to be the five tech but he he can definitely kind of move around like i said the panthers are going to bring a lot of fronts they've been running a lot of three-man fronts a lot of four-man fronts which you know they they have a lot of versatile personnel too especially at the linebackers slash uh, defense so, so basically the edge guys you know guys like uh, marquise haynes uh these are guys that can uh, have their hand in the dirt or stand up and drop back into coverage if they need to. Brian Burns is definitely going to get after that. So you're really going to see uh, a lot of mixtures in the front. So hopefully uh, for the Panthers sake, it's going to cause uh, a lot of confusion for the Buccaneers, especially being on such a short week. They don't have much time to really get a chance to eye up the, the Panthers D line and really create a, uh, a strong game plan at least hopefully they don't have time to do so so i i think that kind of uh gamesmanship i guess we'll say should be uh should be really interesting to check out but you know kind of on the flip side uh from the buccaneers perspective what's uh what's the biggest matchup that they're looking forward to or what's you know something that they gotta take advantage of if they're gonna win this game well, I, I'm definitely going to key on the uh, the matchup of Christian McCaffrey against the Buccaneers linebackers. Mm-hmm. You know, are Levante and Devin White going to have the speed to close in on McCaffrey and, and not allow him to do what he did to the Rams or, for that matter, what he did to the Bucs you know, last season? Uh, I'm definitely interested in seeing Mike Evans back to being healthy and, and seeing how these Bucs receivers fare against the Panthers yeah they they all struggled against the 49ers a lot of that being the struggles that Jameis had but Mike Evans did not look like Mike Evans I mean he was he was 60 percent at at best you know kept going over to the sidelines you know in between plays you're getting sick and uh you know I'd, I'd like to see him like to see him bounce back and then of course you know can these young Buccaneers corners you know Carlton Davis and and Sean Murphy Bunting, who got some playing time. You you got the rookie safety in Mike Edwards. Can these guys contain the passing game, you know, going up against Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore? And of course, Christian McCaffrey, always the threat out of the backfield. You know, Cam Newton uh in in 13 games against the Bucs, he averages 225 passing yards. So can they can they keep Cam under 200 and you know really control this game you know the defense looks night and day better than last year so i'm interested to see how they can try to contain some of these panthers weapons but yeah the the number one matchup that will determine this game is christian mccaffrey against the buccaneers front seven yeah and i kind of thought about that matchup too when i was given my matchups mccaffrey <laughs> against the linebackers especially the way mccaffrey exploded in week one so yeah McCaffrey against a guy like Devin Bush that that's going to be fun to watch two uh, really young quick speedy players 
kind of going at it. So that'll be that'll be uh, really interesting to take a look at there. All right. Well, Bill, before we close this thing out, uh, you know, in in the history of the Buccaneers and the Panthers, the Panthers are holding a 23 to 14 overall lead, a pretty, pretty substantial lead in the win loss column. The Bucs won the last game 24 to 17 at the end of last season, but the Panthers have won seven of the last 10 and have a 12 and seven record at home against the Buccaneers. And this is a Buccaneers team that has not won on Thursday night since 2012. All signs pointing to the Panthers in this one. So with that said, Bill, what is your score prediction for tomorrow night's game? Yeah, I think that streak's going to continue. I think it's going to be another year of waiting uh, for the Buccaneers to win on Thursday night. You know, and I've always felt it seems more often than not that road teams tend to struggle on Thursday nights. You have the occasional ones where the road team either hangs tight or uh, really just takes control of the home team. But for the most part, road teams have a tough time uh, in these in these Thursday night games. And I think that's going to continue here. I think the Panthers get after the Buccaneers early. Uh, and I think, you know, if they can get after Jameis, we saw what happened last week. If they can basically make Jameis be Jameis, then I think the Panthers should have a fairly easy time in this one. I'm going to say Panthers 31, Buccaneers 20. All right. <clears throat> well, and unfortunately, I'm going to have to agree with you <clears throat> that uh, the Bucks are going to go yet another year without winning on Thursday night. I just, with the struggles that they had, uh, short week on the road, it's it's a recipe for disaster for the Bucks. Hopefully, some of the things look a little bit better, but I think in the end, Carolina is going to be just a little bit too much. And they're going to win this one 27 to 20. Fair enough. Yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's going to be a tough go, I think. So, all right. Well, Bill, with that, we are out of here. Thanks so much for uh, for hanging with me a little bit tonight, buddy. Yeah, you got it, buddy. Always, uh, always good to talk to you. And I'm sure whether it's you or David, I'll be hitting one of you guys up. Uh, actually, not that long, only about. Uh, what four weeks we'll be getting ready to do this all over again yeah except uh it'll be a, a breakfast special we're going to be sitting down with our omelets pancakes biscuits and gravy yeah. watching the bucks and panthers at nine in the morning yes, good sir. grief uh, all right well of course you can check out everything that bill is doing about the panthers over at the panthers wire and on twitter at bill underscore Rossetti. remember that's two c's two t's Check out everything I'm doing over at BucksNation.com. Follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks. Hope you all have an absolutely wonderful Wednesday, and thank you so much for joining us right here on Crossover Wednesdays.